so we're going to continue our apologetics talk. The handout's on the, on the table. Um, I've asked the question in tonight's uh, talk, why is there evil in the world? Um, it's better known as the problem of evil. That's the first blank there. Epicurus, who was a Greek philosopher of the 3rd century B.C., he put it this way. He said, if God is willing to pre- prevent evil but not able... Then he is not omnipotent. Is he able but not willing? Then he is malevolent. Is he both able and willing? Then whence cometh evil? Is he neither able nor willing? Then why call him God? That question has been reframed and posed over the years. David Hume reframed it and discussed that question uh, on on a number of topics and occasions. Christians over the years have been asked that question. I've been asked that question. Why, if God is good, and if God is omnipotent, if he's all-powerful, why do we have evil in the world? Uh, And when I talk about evil, there are are several categories that we could look at, several aspects of evil. I mean, obviously, you've got uh, acts of terror and heinous evil that are so mind-blowing that we can't even think uh, about it being conscionable, like the Nazi Holocaust. Uh, I'm, I'm a bit of a history buff, uh, particularly like World War II history. And so um, when, uh, on, my, uh, on my Netflix queue, I'm actually watching a, a documentary called Hitler's Circle of Evil. And it tracks some of the different um, leaders and some of the different characters and lieutenants that came alongside Hitler and perpetrated or helped to perpetrate the Holocaust. And as we think about that, I mean, that's six million Jews, nine million people, uh, Russians and, and uh, Poles and Jews, that were annihilated. I mean, we're not talking about death in battles and in war. We're talking about systematic annihilation and murder. And, and sometimes it's hard for us to wrap our heads around that, but we know that that is evil on an unconscionable level, just a, a level that is, that is heinous. Or you think about the terrorist attacks, 9-11, where someone just out of evil and hatred flew a plane into a tower that killed people on contact. Or some of the mass shootings that we've seen. That's one aspect of that. And we as Christians, at a certain level, have to look at that and say, why does that exist in the world? That's one category of evil. There are other categories of evil. Another category would be the evil that happens to us. You know, the person that treats us badly, the person that tells a lie on us, right? That runs out in the neighborhood or in your place of business or around you and says something that's not true about you or treats you wrong. Uh, or if you want to get more personal or even more um, heinous but, but individual would be someone who has faced abuse, either spousal abuse, physical abuse, or mental abuse, or sexual abuse. And some of those types of crimes, individual and personal, are utterly evil as well. How in the world could you, could someone uh, act violently or immorally against a three-year-old or a four-year-old or a baby? And, and sadly enough, stuff like that happens. And it's just one of those things that how do we explain? And then you get another category of, of evil that I would put in, I would call suffering, and the things that we don't like to experience. Cancer, uh, in fact, um, on the on the prayer list is a is a name, uh, Joel Clifton. It's my wife's cousin, 
He's about 40 years old, and he's been diagnosed with an inoperable tumor, uh, can't form of cancer, on his aorta. Uh, and so it's pretty serious. He's going to face some pretty serious chemotherapy. There are many others on the prayer list that are facing illness and diagnoses and challenges that, that we would put in the category of suffering, and we have to pause and ask, why? Why is this going on in my life or in the life of someone I know? Many of you have been in some of those situations. Um, on a personal note, I watched my mom for a number of years suffer with debilitating arthritis and joint and knee pain, and up until the day she died in January, for about six or seven years, she literally was in constant pain. There wasn't a day that went by that she didn't hurt in some significant capacity. And that broke my heart and certainly broke my dad's heart. And we watched that. So why is it that we live in a world that is full of evil and suffering? And we do. I mean, we can't deny it. We can't ignore it. It's there. We're going to experience it. We're going to come face to face with it or be around it. So what do we do with that? Well, there are several options. Uh, several options have been posed over the years regarding the problem of evil as Christians would answer it. One option would be to limit God's omnipotence. Uh, limit God's omnipotence. That's basically limiting God's power. In other words, some would say that God is not able to do everything the Bible claims he's able to do. Uh, that God can't make that happen. Uh, or limit God's knowledge. Open theism is a version of theology <coughs> that essentially says God may not know everything. God may not know everything that's going to take place. God may not be able to do any, everything about everything that goes on in the world, which is not consistent with biblical teaching. But that's one way that some Christians have, have chosen or some have chosen to deal with this particular problem of evil. Uh, saying that God is somehow limited in his omnipotence. Other Christians have posed a solution that would say uh, limit God's goodness. Limit God's goodness. In other words, there, there is a limitation to how good God can be in certain scenarios or situations, which is why evil exists in the world. Um, both of those options I find troubling because they're not biblical. Okay? One of the things that I would say to you as a congregation and to us tonight as we look at this question and even some of the other apologetic questions that we have or maybe even some of the theological questions we might have, the Bible doesn't always tell us everything about everything that we want to know. Sometimes it just presents to us what is. And that's where I think the third option comes in. We should trust God's wisdom. Trust God's wisdom. When we think about the problem of evil and suffering in the world, and I'm going to look at about six different principles in the next, the next little section, and we'll talk through those, but we ought to trust God's wisdom. Trust that He knows best, that He is best. And like I've told you before, as your pastor, I, I'm sure I'm guilty of this, sharing my own opinions and my own ideas, what I think about certain things. But when I, when I stand here to teach or when I stand behind a pulpit, it's not my job to share with you what I think. It's my job to share with you what God says. And so uh, when I share with you this answer tonight or some of these things to remember, I'm going to do my dead level best not to just give you opinion because my opinion could be right or it could be wrong. God's opinion is what is right. And to be fair to Scripture and to be fair to us tonight, 
God doesn't answer this question like we want it answered. Uh, see, this is a philosophical question. We're going to actually move from the philosophical tonight to the pastoral tonight. We'll get that at the end of, the, of our time together. And some of the questions that we have, even the, the, the way we framed the question, the problem of evil or the way that's been framed over the years, let me assure you that is not a problem for God. Evil and suffering and difficulty are not things that God is sitting up in heaven wringing his hands about, wondering how he's going to fix this, that, or the other. They're a problem for us. And when I say a problem for us, we're trying to square in our mind how we can believe what the Scripture says about who God is with what we see in day-to-day life or reality or in situations of evil and heinous, unrighteous acts or suffering or even personal suffering. We're the ones who are trying to square those two things. God doesn't have any problem with these issues, and we're going to look, through, look at that a little bit tonight. Number one, remember this regarding evil and suffering. The Bible offers an explanation, if not a justification. The Bible offers an explanation, if not a justification. What do I mean, what do I mean by that? Well, uh, at, the, at the foundation, when we think about evil and suffering in the world, that starts in the book of Genesis. God made Adam and Eve, and he made all of creation. Do you remember what God said after each day of creation? And it was good. Every single day. And it got to the, the people, Adam and Eve, and what did God say? It was very good. That's right. So God made everything that existed, and it was good. And about us, who were made in his image, he said, and they are very good. And then, of course, God did something that even though I wish I could explain it to you, I can't. He put a tree in the Garden of uh, Eden, tree of knowledge of good and evil. And he told Adam and Eve, don't eat from it. Now, there are a lot of things that come alongside with this issue of choice and sovereignty and responsibility. We're not going to get into that tonight. But he gave Adam and Eve an opportunity to make a decision. And, of course, we know what they did. We're products of what they did. They chose to sin. And when they sinned, sin entered the world, evil entered the world, suffering entered the world. If you look in the book of Romans chapter 8, we're going to reference a verse there, but there's a verse in Romans 8 that says, For even creation groans is suffering uh, the pains of sin and unrighteousness. I mean, have you ever wondered why animals are violent and why hurricanes happen and destruction takes place? It's because when Adam and Eve sinned, it did not just affect them, it affected the entirety of creation. And so the Bible doesn't necessarily say this is why all this takes place and this is how all this works out, but it does offer for us an explanation. So as Christians, when we answer the question of the problem of evil, we automatically recognize the reason for evil, things like not the Nazi Holocaust or abuse or personal suffering, whatever it may be, all of it ties back into the issue of sin. If sin were not a part of the world, we wouldn't have to worry about any of these things. We wouldn't have to worry about any of the heinous acts. If Adam and Eve hadn't sinned, we'd all be running around naked. Seriously. And we wouldn't have thought anything about it because there wouldn't have been shame and there wouldn't have been sin. But as it is, Adam and Eve sinned and you're wearing clothes tonight. I thought I'd get a few more laughs than that. Um, 
That's okay. I'm not a humorist. My, my job is not to make you laugh. My job is to teach Scripture. So the Bible offers an explanation, if not a justification. It tells us that there is sin in the world, not necessarily all the whys regarding evil and, and why God allows certain things to happen. At best, as I look at it, I can, I can say that God allows evil and suffering and sin because he wants to show off the greatness of his love for us. I mean, God loved Hitler enough to send Jesus to die on the cross so that even someone like Adolf Hitler could have repented and turned to faith and follow him. God loves you enough so that no matter what you've done, past, present, or future, if you repent of your sins and turn to him, he will forgive you. And so the expression of the greatness of God's love, I'm not sure could really be categorized as we, as, as we need it if we didn't have the option to sin and reject God outright. And that's, of course, what we've done. And then God responded, or God gave us the cross and gave us an opportunity for salvation. But I'm getting a little ahead of myself. Number two, God is sovereign and can use suffering. That's something that we have to remember. In Genesis chapter 50, and I referenced this last, the year before last, when I did a series on uh, Joseph. Joseph was the, uh, the individual in the Old Testament, the patriarch in the Old Testament, whose brother sold him into slavery. What a terrible thing, right? Some of you may have wished that you sold a brother or a sister into slavery, but you never did. Some of you may have threatened, but Joseph's brothers actually did. I mean, talk about, talk about, can you imagine that? I mean, I really tried to put myself in Joseph's shoes and in the shoes of the brothers when I preached through that sermon series. They sold him for 30 pieces of silver. I mean, how low do you have to go to sell your brother? Or your sister, and they did. But in Genesis 50, after Jacob had died, they sent word to Joseph, the brothers did, telling Jacob, telling Joseph that Jacob had asked that he forgive his brothers. And Joseph made this fascinating statement. He said, what you intended for evil, God intended for good. God is sovereign. Only a sovereign, all-powerful God can take a situation that is evil to its core, and use somehow to benefit us and bring glory to himself. Romans 8.28 says, uh, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Probably one of the most uh, tritely used verses in all of Scripture. I don't think that's the kind of verse you ought to look at someone who's just lost a family member and just quote that verse to them. I think sometimes it's overused in that sense, but it's true, it's very true, and here's why it's true, because only God can take situations that are truly evil and bring good out of it. And every single one of you in this room have experiences that are like that, things that happened to you, or things that happened to someone you know, or things that happened that are absolutely evil. There's no way God had his hand in causing it. But God intervened in the midst of it and actually caused things that happened that were good even from it. Because God can do that. He's sovereign. And one of the things that we have to hold on to as Christians when we deal with this particular question and many others is we have to pause and realize that God's bigger than us. Uh, a friend of mine used to put it this way. He said, if God were small enough to be understood, he wouldn't be big enough to be God. And at some level with the question of evil and suffering and God's sovereignty... We need to realize God's sovereign, and he can take even the worst of situations and bring good out of it. 
number three, Jesus suffered on, excuse me, Jesus suffered the consequences of sin and evil on the cross. One thing that I think happens too often when this question is dealt with philosophically is it, it leaves out all of the experiences that Jesus had as God. You see, God is not dealing with this issue or asking us to deal with this issue from a purely philosophical standpoint. Now, when I talk about that, what do I mean? I mean that, that we just deal with it from the brain up or from the shoulders up, that we're just trying to figure out how it works. Too many, too many that, that creates problems. I've read a good bit of philosophers over the years, listened to, uh, to talks about philosophers, been in philosophy classes, and there were some brilliant thinkers out there. There were some people that came up with some pretty fascinating ideas, but ultimately they don't have all the answers. Uh, and so if we just deal with it in the level of what we can put it, wrap our brains around, we're going to be in trouble because we can't wrap our brains around a whole lot at some at, at a certain at, at a certain level. And so, one of the things that I think we ought not do is just limit this to a discussion of, among academics or among statements or among logical arguments. We need to remember that Jesus suffered the consequences of sin and evil on the cross. In other words, Jesus Himself suffered. Pause and take that in for just a second. I know you know this. I'm not telling you anything bright. I'm not telling you anything genius. But when Jesus was on the cross, he suffered physically, emotionally, and spiritually. More so than any of us have ever suffered in any capacity we could ever imagine. So the problem of evil and suffering is not something that God has put at arm's length and said, you just deal with it. It's something that God enfleshed himself, took on human flesh in the person of Jesus, and suffered personally. So wherever we land on our answer to the subject, God is not uh, careless. He's not, he's not someone who, who kind of pushes us away. He's not someone who says, I, I, I'm not interested in your difficulty. No, he's someone who took on human flesh and experienced the suffering, suffering that you and I can't even imagine. He experienced that in his own person. Jesus suffered. In other words, God knows your suffering and my suffering. He knows the suffering of the millions and billions of people across planet Earth that are experiencing things that are unfair, unrighteous, or unconscionable. He knows it because he experienced it on the cross. In other words, he's not, he is a very caring, loving God because he experienced suffering on the cross. Number four, evil is not ultimate. Evil is not ultimate. Again, that sounds pretty elementary. That's really important. It's really important that we recognize evil doesn't win. I may have mentioned this before, but it's worth referencing again. Oftentimes we think of uh, evil in contrast to what is good. Now this would be a much longer conversation if we delved into this in all kinds of detail. What's the nature of evil? And men like Augustine and others have done that over the years. But many different worldviews think Star Wars, for example. Uh, I, I discovered today that my staff don't share my appreciation for Star Wars like I do. Uh, there are several of the movies Tad has not seen, and none of the movies that Danielle has seen. And, and, and I had to come to grips today with how I feel about that. Uh, I, I just kind of grew up watching it, and I've introduced my boys to it, and... The, it's just kind of part of my growing up heritage. 
But in Star Wars, there's this, there's this concept of light and dark, and there's concept of good and evil. And really, that is an Eastern mythological idea. George Lucas picked that up from elements of Buddhism and Hinduism. And in that particular worldview, there's this idea that good and evil are in kind of a constant balance or battle with one another. And eventually, uh, they, they kind of have to work together in order for both to really uh, ultimately exist. And the, the whole theme of the original trilogy, the original six movies, was that everything needs to come into balance. Well, we we got to be careful as Christians that we don't adopt a theology that picks up on good and evil like that. Uh, let me let me let me take a step back. There is not a cosmic battle between good and evil going on in the world in that frame of reference. What I mean by that is this: evil is not ultimate. Good can exist without evil ever existing. It, Evil is something that came into the world because of sin, and there's going to come a day when evil is not. And that should be encouraging. There's no such thing as, a, as an eternal battle between good and evil because God is holy. Ultimately, always perfectly holy, and there's going to come a day when evil will be no more. When every act of heinous idolatry and wickedness and perversion will be judged, and every actor who never repented will be judged, and all of those who have experienced the grace and the salvation brought through Jesus Christ will exist in a perfected state where there's no such thing as evil that we deal with any longer. Evil's not ultimate. That should be encouraging. Even if we have tension trying to figure out how it all shakes out this side, we should have encouragement because we know that side, it's, never gonna, it's not going to be something we have to worry about. Because you know, God's going to deal with it ultimately. Number five. Suffering provides an opportunity to experience God uniquely. This is kind of gets into the purpose of personal suffering and personal issues that we deal with. And some of you could tell better stories about this than I could. You went through a time of suffering. You went through a time of physical challenge, emotional challenge, spiritual challenge. You went through a time that you couldn't explain. You went through a time where nobody else could help you or at least few people could help you. And in those moments of suffering and difficulty, personal tragedy, God taught you something you couldn't have learned if you hadn't have been in that situation. Suffering provides us an opportunity to experience God in a unique way. In fact, one thing we have to remember is there are times of suffering and trial and difficulty all throughout the pages of Scripture. There are men who ran from God. There are men who ran from people who hated them and were trying to find out what God wanted for their lives, and they experienced suffering in those moments, and they also experienced a unique sense of God's presence. Uh, I think back to my mom. Uh, a few years before we were born, she had to have some pretty significant surgery, surgery that the doctors told her would make her unable to have children, and it was in those moments of facing surgery and recovering from surgery and some of those wants and desires that she had that she developed a very personal and intimate walk with God. She had been a believer. She knew Jesus as her Lord and Savior, but that experience really um, strengthened her faith in a way that would have never happened if she hadn't have gone through that terrible difficulty. And ultimately, I think in one sense, God blessed her with children because of the experience that she went through and she drew near to God. And so I would tell you this, I don't wish suffering on anyone, 
I mean, when I pray for you to get better, I mean it. When I ask God to heal people of cancer or heart disease, I'd mean those prayers and you mean those prayers. But sometimes God has a greater purpose for what you're going through than the miraculous to wipe it away and heal you of it. Sometimes He wants you to experience Him in a way that you can never experience if you didn't go through the suffering. And some of you can testify to that. You've been there. You know exactly what I'm talking about. And that means that we ought not automatically reject it. But encouragingly, remember number four, it's not ultimate. The cancer you've watched people face or you're facing or the heart disease or the aches and pains, they're not going to be there in heaven. They're going to be gone away. They're, they're not permanent. The suffering we watch people go through, it's not permanent. Ultimately, God will deal with that. And then number six, the problem of evil assumes morality. Problem of evil assumes morality. Oftentimes, and Epicurus was like this. Epicurus was a philosopher of the third century, pre-Christian philosopher. What I mean by that is he, he third, third century B.C., he lived in ancient Greece. He came along after the time of Plato, Socrates, and Aristotle, or Socrates, Plato, and Aristotle, if I get the, the actual order right. And uh, Epicurus came along, and when he was talking about God, he was not talking about the biblical God. Uh, in his, he didn't even know the biblical God. He would have had no knowledge of the Old Testament. He certainly didn't have knowledge of Christ, who was not yet to be born 300 years later, or nearly 300 years later. And so when Epicurus is talking about God, he's reflecting on gods like Zeus and Apollos and the Greek pantheon of gods. Uh, still, same issue, but that's who he's reflecting on. He would be what we would deem today a secularist. He, he did not hold to a theology of sorts or a theology that we would be familiar with at any point. And many of the people that bring back this problem of evil question among Christians, they look at us and they throw back at us and say, well, if your God is good and if your God is sovereign, why is there evil in the world? And that's, that's a question that sometimes we feel forced to answer. When we could look back at them and say, well, if there is no God, then why are you talking about what's evil? Because if you don't have a category for morality, you don't have a category for good and evil. In other words, evil, even as difficult as it is for us to explain, evil as we've experienced it and look around, assumes that there's something good that there's someone good, and there is a longing for evil not to win. I mean, why is it in every book that you read or every movie that you watch uh, that the good ones, in my view, the good ones, always end with good on top? I mean, I mean don't we want the good guys to win? We, 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 that's why we pull for the Tar Heels. We, we want the good guys to win. Sorry. <laughs> Thanks, Alan. No, we, we, we long for good to win. Why is that? Why is that? Because we operate in a system that assumes good and evil, that assumes morality, that assumes right and wrong. But here's, here's the deal. If someone's going to look at us and say, explain evil with a God who's holy and good, then I can look right back at them and explain good and evil without any categories for God at all. Because if naturalism is true, atheism is true, and there's no such thing as God, 
There's no such thing as good and evil. It's a purely human construct. I can do whatever I want. Of course, they don't like that if that means whatever I want is taking money out of their bank account. That doesn't work for them. That's immoral. That's wrong. And then we could stop them and say, well, how do you know that's immoral and wrong? Where do you get to define that? In fact, where do you get to define evil and good at all? You know where we get to define evil and good? We get to define it because the Bible defines it. And here's the beauty of of even this particular question set against a Christian worldview. One of the things that has fascinated me as I've looked at apologetics and worked through it, as I look around the world that, that we live in, it's troubling, it's difficult, it's sad, it's heartbreaking, but it is constantly consistent with what the Bible says about the world around us. Yeah, we live in an evil world. That's exactly what God said about our world. And the way people act and operate, immorally or morally, and the way they judge that, this is murder, this is, you know, abuse is wrong, well, that is consistent with what the Bible says. Where do they get their concepts of morality? Well, because they're made in God's image. And even if they try to divorce themselves from that perspective, philosophically, in other words, they, they kind of shape their thinking around things that are not biblical, they can't shape their lives around things that are not biblical. In other words, they live inside of a morality that we all kind of hold, adhere to to some degree. Why is that? Because God made us in his image. So reality is the problem of evil is not near as much a problem as it sounds. Um, and God has good purposes even if we don't necessarily like the experiences that we get to have. Because, and I can say this, uh, and I've said this at funerals, and I've thought this recently, because my mom's no longer suffering with arthritis. Her heart isn't in trouble anymore. She can walk. She hadn't walked in four or five years, until January when she went to heaven. Well, she didn't technically walk then. I don't want to get into all that detail. She's in her, her spirit is there. She'll get her body at the next at the resurrection. So what does walking look like as a spiritual being? Not entirely sure, but I don't, I don't want to jump into a whole eschatology and what heaven's like and all that kind of stuff. I'm probably jumping ahead of myself. But she's, she's not in pain anymore. She's not physically suffering anymore. And folks, that's pretty encouraging to know that we're on the side of a God who gives us victory, hope, and assurance. And we're on the side that one day, all these things that we look, look around and get frustrated by or get flat out angry about, they're not going to be here anymore. We win. Amen? Uh, next week, we're going to deal with uh, the question of what about those who've never heard the gospel or different religious faiths, kind of put those together, have another handout for that. And uh, so you, you join me in prayer about next week.